forward on my knees. I walk forward on my knees. I walk forward on my knees. Please keep me moving on. Welcome to Walking Forward, the podcast of Atlanta's Edmiston Center, where we bring together kingdom minds and voices to talk about Christian endurance on society's margins. I am your host, Karen Ellis. And society's margins, I think that needs a little bit of unpacking. So let me do that for a bit. Here are some curious and relevant definitions to today's conversation. Margins, the outside limit an adjoining surface of something, for example, at the margin of the woods, or a spare amount or measure or degree allowed or given for contingencies or special situations, as in there's no margin for error. Or another definition, a bare minimum below which an extreme limit beyond which something becomes impossible or is no longer desirable or an area, state, or condition excluded from or existing outside the mainstream, as in the margins of society. My guest today is Pastor Christian Atento, and he serves the global church on the margins as a pastor to pastors. Christian Atento has uh, more than 30 years experience in a variety of pastoral roles, from church planter to senior pastor, and he's been married for 30 years. He and his wife have three grown kids and two grandbabies. And uh, Pastor Atento describes himself as a U.S.-based international worker who has the privilege and honor of working in a number of countries, but most closely with many believers in a location with a long history of complicated restrictions surrounding religious expression. Pastor Atento uh, was watching the Edmiston Center develop over time as a place uh, where Western believers can study Christian endurance through biblical faithfulness and uh, noted our emphasis on the church on the margins via the internet. And so he reached out and we joyfully started a conversation about the believer's priorities and values in his context. So it's my honor to welcome you, Pastor Atento. Thank you so much for reaching out and, and um, just even noticing the Edmiston Center and what we're doing. <laughs> it's good to have you today. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Karen, for having me. This is a, a real joy to be able to be on your podcast and and share with you what's going on in a place that has been on the margin uh, for a long time. Uh, so I'm going to start with the obvious. We are blurring your face and we are altering your voice. And um, I just want you to share with uh, all of us why we need to do that. <laughs> um, it's basically for the, the protection of the Christian leaders in Cuba. Uh, they are um, not seeking attention. They're not seeking fanfare. Uh, in fact, it's it's better for them if um, if less attention is brought. As you know, a lot of churches that endure and those that persevere over the course of time uh, do their work um, without a lot of people knowing. Um, mm. That's the first reason. The second reason is I want to go back. <laughs> mm. um, I... I love the people that I work with there. It's 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 family to me now. This is very personal, um, and I want to be able to go back. And so in order to honor the authorities and to protect my brothers and sisters there, um, 
we can go without seeing my face and hearing my voice. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a curious. Um, um, I feel like there's a curious uh, ego protection too that's built into this kind mm -hmm. of work. You know, it's it's like uh, for us who who live with celebrity culture and with platform building, it's mm -hmm. that's just not a, a, it's not a possible thing where you serve, right? Right, right, and. You know, it's it's important for them to be known uh, and to be prayed for and to be supported, but not in the sense that we have uh, in the states where we build our following or, or seeking attention via social media. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly right. So how do you describe, how shall we call the place where you are? Uh, Cuba itself? Yes. Okay. Wow. I, we hadn't. We hadn't. Uh, we hadn't said the name. And I, I didn't want to say the name unless it was okay to yeah. say the name. So. Yeah, it's okay. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. Um, Is it safe to go and minister there? Are there what? Are there restrictions on what you can and cannot do? Yeah, it's it's. I feel perfectly safe there. Um, you know, I I know the language. Um, everyone there is uh, quite happy to to interact with. People from, you know, the U.S. is the only country that has a, uh, a blockade. And so other tourists are there from other countries. It's very safe. Um, I, in fact, I think it's, if our governments can ever work it out again, I encourage everybody to go and visit. It's the kind of place that has a lot of history. Uh, Europeans came there uh, over 500 years ago. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me Havana just celebrated its uh, 500th anniversary and there are other cities that are even older mm -hmm. and of course the indigenous people have been there um you know a lot longer yeah yeah, yeah. it's a very rich culture uh, with a lot yeah. of layers and a lot of depth um mm -hmm. a lot of pain that the church has been able to speak into um and uh, so I guess we can unpack some of those things. Uh, what are some of the um, what are some of the restrictions for foreigners doing religious activities? Because that's what I was speaking. You know, I yeah. know that I'm very much aware that people that uh, things very much opened up in the last ten years or so in terms of um, uh, Americans being able to visit. Um, and there's been you know some play back and forth with those kinds of restrictions. But you know, uh, tourism. Uh, is huge um, back and forth, you know, from other countries for that nation. So uh, specifically restrictions on foreigners doing religious activities. Yeah, it's interesting. If you go there as a tourist and you ever want to go back, I guess is a way of saying it, then you should, you know, not engage in religious activities. But if, if you're uh, invited by a religious institution onto the island, you can get uh, a religious worker visa from the Cuban government. And of course, that's fine as far as the U.S. side too. There's provisions in the blockade for religious work. So when I go on a religious worker visa, I can do anything. I can preach, teach, train, coach, um, walk up to people on, on, the, on the street and chat with them about the Lord, and there's no restriction at all. No. What kind of receptivity do you find when you uh, when you um, walk up to somebody on the street and speak about the Lord? What happens in that in that space? Um, it's every everyone, of course, is very polite. It's a very polite society, and so I have um, I, I enjoy just talking to people, and um, 
people will, when they ask me what I do and I tell them that I'm a pastor, you know, they understand that. Um, some people identify as Catholic, others identify as an evangelical or a Christian. Others will, you know, maybe not say it, but it will come out that they are involved in Santeria, which is very popular. We would call that voodoo. Mm-hmm. Um, but the majority of people are, are they, they say, I'm a mix. Um, I'm a mix of beliefs. And mm-hmm. so they're, they're secular, but respectful of religion as a way of putting it. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and, they're very receptive. I enjoy yeah. talking to, to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there is, um, uh, quite a bit of freedom to be able to, um, to share it. That wasn't always the case though. Um, things have changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, as I, <clears throat> as I've been told the story, um, in the 90s, in, in what they call the special period of the revolution, uh, the constitution was changed from an atheistic country to a secular country, which then essentially told those folks that were religious or had religious beliefs that you could be a good Christian, I mean, you could be a good Cuban and, and have religious beliefs, which at the time, uh, that had not been the case for quite some time. And when that happened, the... The, the pastors that I've talked to told me that the churches immediately filled up and people were very engaged, wanted to know what they had been told was, was not true. Mm-hmm. They wanted to investigate it. And many people came to faith in Christ during that period. And, but the church didn't have the, the ecosystem in place to disciple folks. And so there was a big influx and then a big outflow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm in the 90s and that's so things have changed dramatically in that in that time period yeah it's a highly it's a highly literate country right Uh, right yeah so what what do you what have you found um that's particularly significant that you want to bring to the edmiston center to to tell us about Uh, well i i want the north american church to be um to be encouraged and I want the Cuban church to be, to be known. You know, I was thinking about that today. It's not just for the folks in the U.S. and, and the English-speaking world, but the Cuban church has, has felt isolated, and um, mm-hmm. they really, really do uh, love the Lord, and they're, it's a strong church um, mm-hmm. from all the accounts that I can see. Mm-hmm. So really do want people to be encouraged and to know, you know, I, the first time I went, uh, in, having grown up in the States, I, I just, all I knew about Cuba was that it was south of Florida and it was communism and the Castros and there were old cars and the cigars were famous. Mm-hmm. But I had this preconceived notion that the church itself would be very weak mm-hmm. or there would be no church. Mm-hmm. But I was terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And I I think that it's just a, 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 it's something that we as global Christians need to understand that God is, is not just at work. There aren't just churches. There's a movement of God going on uh, in Cuba that is unlike anything that, that I've ever experienced personally. Does it look like uh, what we would associate with first century church or New Testament church? Yeah, several people have said that. Um not just me. I, I feel like that's the case. You know, it's a, it's similar to what I hear is happening in India, what has happened in China, what is happening in Iran and other places where the church has been 
uh, on the margins. And so it's, it's quite exciting, honestly, hmm. to just think about where, where the church is on the island right now and how far God has brought them along. Hmm. So uh, let's say that you go, to, you go to be an encouragement. What kind of environment is set up? Um, for you to, uh, are you, are you, is, you know, I know there are churches there, um, but yeah. are, what, what kind of environment is set up for you? Um, and, and what, what do, what do, what, you know, it's, it's not like people can just necessarily hop in their cars and, you know, or, or log on to zoom and, you know, <laughs> you know, have their church service, you know, it's just very, it's very different than what we render, um, yeah. our understanding of church. So what's it like? What do people go yeah. just to even well, participate in fellowship? Yeah, it's um, it's very personal, very relational. Mm. Um, one of the things that I think is outstanding and, and unique is that, you know, there have been churches uh, on the island for hundreds of years, um, and there have been restrictions on church buildings, but there's been absolutely no restriction on what can be done in house churches. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, very much the, the work that I've seen and I've heard about and I've been involved in is that house churches are multiplying rapidly across the island. Hmm. Uh, literally, nobody can count them. There are so many. Hmm. Uh, it's in every denomination that I've heard of uh, and every denomination that I've worked in. And so it's very much focused on relationship. Hmm. Um, it, it really is. Um, there are training centers. There are training events. And so that's primarily what I go in. I do. I I go in and I do training, and um, I, I, honestly, I, I don't I don't preach in their churches anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, they they're excellent preachers. Mm-hmm. Um, they know the context better. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're always very gracious and um, always invite me to, and I always decline now because I honestly I need to hear the gospel preached from them. Yeah. Uh, when I'm there, I need to hear about Jesus myself. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not a superstar who can do it all on his own. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. that's great too. You know the uh, the value of uh, you know raising up indigenous leadership with you know and God stimulating indigenous movements. It's it's not just yeah. um, it's not just affirming of His power. It's actually cost effective <laughs> because you, know, you, don't have, you don't have to train sure. somebody about the context necessarily. You know, um, they're yeah. they're there. Um, they're they're yeah. they're they're. they're you know, by God's providence, they're, that's where they've been called to, their own context, which is uh, you right. know, it's a beautiful thing, the respect that you have for that. So right. um, the, what, what does the average person go through just to be able to fellowship with others, um, to be able to, um, um, to, say, attend a training? Or, you know, what, is, it, is it easy access or just because of the conditions of, you know, uh, the economic conditions? Yeah. It is economically challenging for sure. I, I was shocked the first time that I went um, to find out that people, you know, hitchhiked for three hours to get to the training center where I was training. And what would have taken in a car 20, 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, one couple told me that they had come from a city that was probably, you know, in American terms, uh, in U.S. terms, I should say, uh, maybe an hour and a half. They had spent four hours riding in essentially the back of a dump truck in order to get to the training uh, facility. It was uh, 
there's just such a thirst. You know, you mentioned that they're highly literate. I think it's the most literate country in this hemisphere. Uh, at one point, I think I looked that up, and they had a higher literacy rate than the U.S. and any other country in, in, the, in this hemisphere. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not just that they're educated or literate. It's that they're hungry. Mm. And the the resources, you know, until recently, there's been no Internet access. Um, mm -hmm. they're, they're catching up to that. Um, but... There have, there are, there have been Bible colleges and seminaries throughout. They've been, as you were talking about, indigenous leadership. Mm -hmm. They've been trained. You know, these are almost, I would say, all the major denominations in the U.S. And, and sadly, several false belief systems have a presence in Cuba. It's, mm -hmm. it's not like it's been completely cut off. Uh, there, there has been a lack of resource. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a lot of distress mm -hmm. in in um, in being able to get around, yeah. but you know public transportation is how everybody gets everywhere. Yeah, I'm sure that COVID has exacerbated a lot of that too. Um, you know, just yeah. sort of um, made more challenging made challenges on top of challenges. You know, so yes, that's a matter for prayer. Yeah. Speaking of prayer. Um, you know, uh, movements and revival and renewal movements and, you know, indigenous movements are, are usually marked by um, a, a kingdom prayer, um, mm. also a casting down of idols and, you know, turning away from idolatry. And uh, you, mm. you kind of see that, you know, all over the New Testament and you see it throughout history and you see it throughout the life of Israel even. And so I'm just wondering what's the role of prayer in the works that you're involved in because kingdom prayer is one of the um it's one of the cornerstones of the Edmiston Center curriculum and uh, you know it's just it's a it's a significant part of our our theory of change and our spiritual formation of the students that we want to see produced so what's it like in that context it's mm. a great question you know um in the works that I've been involved in, in in other countries, it seems that prayer is is more the default setting. You know, it's it because of distress and because of lack of resource, there is a sense in which there's a necessity to pray, as well as a hunger to pray. Because when you have less, you depend more on the Lord. And right. he has this amazing where even with us you have plenty in, in the West of of bringing about circumstances and situations where we depend upon him more. We end up depending on upon him for for different things. But Cubans resort to prayer right off. I was I was struck one of the times that I was there, um I was staying with a pastor's family and um traveling with a, an interpreter and one of the children of this family came down with a fever and uh, immediately as soon as the mom felt the fever came out she she went to prayer she called out to everyone in the household come let's pray let's lay hands on and and you know i was being you know a good pastor and i went and we prayed and um later on though i was i was thinking about that like that's really different why why was it that way and so I was debriefing with my interpreter, and he said, you know, um, when when you're 
when your kid gets a fever, you go and get something out of the cabinet and you give it to them. And if, if they don't get better, you take them to the doctor and there's plenty of medicine everywhere here. You know, prayer is the first resort, not the last resort. We don't just wait until things get really bad to pray. Hmm. I thought, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So prayer just in, in the very nature of the way that the way that life is, is essential, but it's not just that it's the, the leaders of these movements uh, have been trained to pray for evangelistic purposes, for the sake of holistic gospel change. Mm -hmm. um, they they not only prioritize it in their weekly uh, and and regular scheduled programming, mm -hmm. they see it as the means by which to do evangelism, the means by which to see God provide resources mm -hmm. uh, for the movement. Mm -hmm. um, one one church that I uh, I worked with has um, has seen prayer open doors for them that were in, in their in their I think from their view miraculous or mm -hmm. certainly God moving. Mm -hmm. They had been praying about how to reach into their neighborhood, and this is in a city, and so the neighbors are just you know all right there within a minute's walk of mm -hmm. of where the church had a building. And so they started uh, praying that, that uh, what, what should we do? How should we reach the neighbors? They came up with the idea. They prayed about the idea. The idea was that they could feed some of the senior citizens and some of the children in the neighborhood who were in, um, in food, lacked food and the resources. And so they prayed and they went and asked permission. They were granted permission. They started, they were, told which 25 people to pray for, I mean, to, to feed, and they began praying for them and carrying food to them. So and practical. over the course of time, yeah, very practical, <laughs> uh, sharing what limited resources they had, but, but sharing nonetheless and having mercy. Um, and all along the way, it was a prayerful journey. And over the course of time, the authorities came to them and said, could you feed more people? And they uh -huh. said, sure. Uh, over the course of time, I'll just skip to the end of the story. Now there are many people from that neighborhood who are believers in Jesus because of the dependence and on the, the, the idea and the commitment to pray and then to be obedient to what the Lord tells them to do. Yeah, we've been um, really, as we've been developing our curriculum, we've been trying to think about um, what business as this season has ushered in business as unusual. It's not business <laughs> as usual anymore. No, so, it's not. <laughs> you know the number of um, you know number of opportunities that people that uh, that seminarians and also lay people have for actual practical prayer training. You know we're really mm. just trying to expand that because um, you know mm -hmm. there's you, know, you 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 work one muscle and that muscle gets huge. You start to have a Popeye arm after a while. You know, but <laughs> where the bottom of the arm is really just massive, <laughs> but the you know the the top of the arm is not so yeah. big. You know, so yeah. Uh, we're yeah. trying to uh, strengthen muscles that um, maybe have been neglected um, mm -hmm. overall in terms of spiritual formation. So that's really encouraging. We need those stories to hear um, the primacy of the primacy of first things, the primacy of prayer and the power and believing that um, God is still acting uh, or in, and it can still act in our context um, in, in, 
not just in countercultural ways, but in other cultural ways. You know, it's not just being counter to the culture for us. It's it's about being a completely different culture, a completely different expression um, of a people than any other surrounding culture that we find ourselves in. So that's that's really encouraging to hear those kinds of stories. Um, I might ask you, now you tell me if I'm pushing the limits on this question. Um, I, I think it's okay, but um, I really do have a question around, um, uh, around freedoms and um, um, the, the, the space between respecting your government authorities, which it sounds like um, the church has made significant inroads by just being good citizens, significant <laughs> kingdom advance inroads by being good citizens. Um, whereas here in the West, you would might hear, well, you know, or, or even in, in the Middle East, you know, you might hear more of a, um, a secular concept of, you know, well, um, uh, upend the system and, you know, just, just forget about it and, you know, press for your rights. Can you just speak to a little bit of the, the space and, and, and the tension in that space that exists? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're pushing me to the, to a margin here. Um. I need to be. <laughs> I need to be um, wise in my in my response. I, I would say this: um, the the Christian leaders that I've known and interacted with are largely not political or apolitical. They're 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 kingdom political, to put it right. correctly. Right, right, right. Yeah, I get. They're it. following totally, the king. I totally get that language. It's it's a different set of politics based on the life, death, resurrection, and glorification of Jesus Christ. Right. That's exactly. It's right. a different and set of politics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It show it, it is, and 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 we come at politics in the U.S. system from a different constitution, mm-hmm. and their constitution is different, and they live according to that constitution. But I can say this honestly, they, they love their country. Mm-hmm. And I'm beginning to love Cuba too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love the people. They love their countrymen and their, their, their biggest prayer, the thing that I've heard them say over, over and over again is Cuba para Cristo, Cuba for Christ. Mm-hmm. That's their main goal. And they're just busy about the work of the king recognizing this is where God's put them and they're going to serve and do a great job. So it's helping me understand that better because I think we're going to have to start thinking um, in, you know, we're going to have to start dealing with some of those tensions, you know, around Mm -hmm. um, the value of um, what does it look like to be a good citizen according to kingdom terms Uh, and the power of, of shaping culture from, from the inside out. Um, right. Kingdom advance from inside out, um, not to the exclusion of legislation, but there's there's um, you don't want to neglect the fact that God has got as many ways of advancing His kingdom and changing, uh, you know, moving people towards flourishing, towards the flourishing that He intended for all people. Um, yeah, so that's encouraging. Uh, so, yeah. what is in in your context? What is the um, what is the next generation of Christians look like? Not necessarily the young people, although I would love to hear about them as well, but particularly the newly and genuinely converted. What is that? Yeah. What does that look like? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, let me let me talk about the the young people first. Um, the young people are this is the first generation to have access to the internet. Uh, it's only been on the island 
you know, for a handful of years. So they're seeing the world, they're open to the world. Um, again, it's, it's not, it's not cheap. It's not everywhere, but they do access it. And so they know about the world outside. They're very influenced. Many of the young people are very influenced by the arts. And, uh, it seems like every, every other person that I meet is either a, a doctor or an artist. Um, and so they're influenced by U.S. music, by U.S. trends, by U.S. films, and they're just super curious. They have a pretty good access to English as well. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. English has been taught in the schools, and so mm -hmm. to a degree. So the young people are, there are many of them that are growing up in the church and growing up in these house churches and growing up around a, a kind of a setting to where previous generations might have might have been looked down upon uh having a faith is is okay it's not it's not necessarily the absolute norm or the majority but they're operating and influencing through their art and through their friendships and through their relationships uh reaching their peers mm -hmm. so that's true i think you know probably folks 30 and under um but not every Christian is is uh, is a child. You know, many Christians are people are coming to faith as adults, and they are coming to faith in a house church movement. Mm -hmm. And so it's not building centric necessarily. Although there are churches that have buildings, mm -hmm. they're coming to faith because a friend reached out to them um, and invited them into their home and or their apartment. And they got to know other Christians, and they heard about Jesus, and they were struck by the, the claims of Christ, and they were converted in a in a house church setting, and very quickly trained and taught <laughs> to go ahead and do that again. Right. Uh, so uh, smart. There have been. It's amazing. Yeah. It's it's a guy. I mean, I'm not joking. It's not rocket science. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's simply uh, a thing that's reproducible, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, the the folks that when when a house fills up, they're very cognizant of the need to raise up another leader and start meeting in another house, and you know, so it's just multiplied. Whereas, because and I think in part because they haven't had the freedom just to to build buildings, it's kept everything. Um, more minimalistic in a good way mm -hmm. and uh so yeah i think that the the believers are are the new believers are growing up in the lord thinking it's normal for me to tell people about jesus mm -hmm. it's normal for me to get training in how to lead a house church um yeah it's yeah i i've i run out of words uh, just to think about the impact that it's having. That's part of why it's a movement and why things are multiplying. Mm -hmm. What's uh, what's there's a lot to be excited about. Uh, what's happening? You know, it's 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 neat to see things unfold. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know that you know that it's it's not a person who's controlling it. You know, there's this yeah. is. You I mean there's just that that witness of oh man, this is. This is so beyond anything that any person could get their arms around to even try and manipulate yeah. or control. That's exciting. Sure. Uh, it's terrifying, sure. but it's also exciting. Um, <laughs> so what, <laughs> for me, it's terrifying. Uh, what, do, 
I'm getting used to it, though. What excites you uh, <laughs> most, though? Because there's a lot to be excited about. What excites you most about working uh, in Cuba? Hmm. Yeah, Karen. Uh, it is a profound honor to be part of their movement. Um, it's not a movement that I had anything to do with starting. This is a Cuban-led movement. And to be, in, first of all, invited into it, mm -hmm. and then to become a trusted person, to be, uh, to be so respected, um, it's, it's a profound honor. The excitement, too, is that, you know, I, I, I just want to see more people come to know Jesus. And I never, I never would have imagined that I would be involved in Cuba of all places. Growing up in the in the era that I did in the United States, that just that was ridiculous. Hmm. Um, so I'm excited to see what the Lord's doing. I think there is a new chapter dawning. You know, the the movement is not just a movement about reaching Christ, but they're they're bitten by the reality, bitten by and infected by the reality that that the kingdom of God has a great commission to go to the ends of the world. And so they're thinking about how do we, how do we take the gospel to places where we can go? And I, that to me is very exciting. It's like a new chapter in world missions, I think. Yeah. 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 Agreed. I really, um, yeah. Well, we, we need to learn. Um, I'm uh, definitely a firm believer that um, I, I believe in crowdsourcing education. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I always tell my students, uh, you know, we're crowdsourcing here. They're teaching me as much as mm. um, they, the expectation mm. is that I'll teach them something new. But my, my expectation is always even greater that they're going to teach me many new things and, and help mm. me think about things in ways that I hadn't and, and bring, uh, you know, perspectives and information that I hadn't. Uh, I hadn't even considered um, and opened the windows in my mind and let some fresh air blow through of my own preconceived notions. Um, and so uh, just with that in mind, you know, and taking that into this conversation and inviting uh, you as this, as a, a one of many representatives of the folks on the, in Cuba, what are, what are some major points that we in America uh, could learn from Christians in Cuba, mm. from where you sit? Mm. Yeah, um, that's a really great question. You know, I think one of, uh, I, have to, I have to limit it to three, right? Um, <laughs> I think the chief is uh, persevering in prayer, prayer for, I should say, persevering and prayerfully seeking first the kingdom of God. Hmm. I could have just said, I need to pray more, but it's not just that. It's a prayer posture and a prayer practice and a prayer community that focuses on seeking God and his kingdom, that it may come in Cuba as it is in heaven. Hmm. You know, won't that be amazing? And the new heavens, the new earth when Cuba is, is like it is in heaven. Um, so I think that's definitely one thing. The second thing that I think is really interesting and compelling is that the Cuban church can teach us that we should persevere in going small. 
and not look at limitations as necessarily a negative. Yeah. We are so we've we've grafted in our Christianity and our posture on bigger is better and more is better. And it's not necessarily the case. It's been fundamentally one of the things that's been impressed on me uh, and has just changed my perspective is that small is good. Yeah. House church is good. We or use the not, expression uh, embrace obscurity. Embrace obscurity. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, you know, having more of the church in the house than trying to have church in a building, I just think is, is so much better. Hmm. Yeah. So that's the second one. The third one um, is to turn off distractions and train everybody. <laughs> I mean, train everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Young, old, uh, new believers, mature believers, um, train them to do it. I mean, we have our expectations are so low for what it means to be a Christian in the u.s and we have these high demands for what it means to be a pastor or a professional christian or a staff mm. member of a church and there's this huge gap hmm. <coughs> excuse me <coughs> excuse me um there's this huge gap and what they're doing is they're training everybody at a really high level uh and and they're training them alongside pastors and so the the, the net result is that everyone's ready to start a house church. Um, that's probably an overstatement, but they're presuming that everyone's going to start a house church, that everyone's going to doing, be doing prayer. Everyone's going to be sharing their testimony. Um, that, you know, so this is probably bleeding into a fourth one, but I'll just have to, you'll have to forgive right. me for Take a, time. a bonus, Take bonus time. material. <laughs> uh, you know, they have this great training on prayer and they have this great posture about evangelism. They have put together one organization that I work with, put together a campaign to to try to share the gospel with a million people in a year's time. And they started it with prayer. They started it with kind of the old idea that I was taught back in, in uh, high school and, uh, of a top 10 list of people that you want to pray for, that you're going to pray that they become a Christian. <clears throat> and they're training, you know, for me, if, if I think about it right now, I, the way that they said it was, think of 10 people that you know and you see every day that you want to share your testimony with and bring them to uh, an, uh, an event in a home or wherever where they can hear about Christ. And my pushback initially when I heard that was like, wow, I don't know that I could fill up 10 that I know and see every day. The pushback of the groups was essentially, but only 10? <laughs> I, I, I know a lot of people, and I see a lot of people every day hmm. because their their life is so face-to-face -face and hand-to-hand, -hand, and they don't have institutions that buffer up against people. So they know their neighbors. They're like, could we have two or three lists? Because, you know, we want to – so it's that kind of a, a kind of just – hands-on, it's training everybody, it's in, expecting that they're going to pray, expecting that they're going to tell their story about Jesus, and that they're going to, people are going to hear about Christ. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, train everybody. Right. Um, yeah. 
Well, that's what we're hoping to, uh, we're hoping to, you know, add to that conversation. We're certainly not the only folks in, uh, in our context who are doing this, but uh, we hope mm-hmm. to add to, we hope to add to that conversation and add to yeah. that, uh, you know, that spiritual, that kind of spiritual formation. You know, it sounds simple, but it's a tall order. So I guess we need to get to work, right? <laughs> God, it is. God's going to have to grant us the faith and the wisdom and the Amen. endurance to do it. Amen. 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 Yes. Pastor yes. Atento, thank you so much for being with us today. Your faithfulness to the simplicity uh, and the transformative, your your faith in the transformative power of the gospel is a great encouragement to me, and it's a great encouragement mm-hmm. to all of us. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate it. I hope uh, I hope you will be able to go with us a, another time. I and, hope so too. Uh, I hope so, too, in God's timing. Thank you. In God's timing. This has been Walking Forward, a podcast of the Edmiston Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity. Walking Forward is sponsored by RTS Atlanta Reformed Theological Seminary, where the Edmiston Center makes her home. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time as we walk forward on our knees. Keep it moving.